Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it is the Derek Hunter podcast for the twenty fifth of May, twenty twenty one. Happy, happy Wednesday! I'm Derek Hunter. I'm your host. Listening to the screaming in the background, you can tell that the kids just got a bath and they're running around naked and trying to avoid their mother dressing them. I, like I say, I'm Derek Hunter. Appreciate you listening. Uh, just a note: I, I recorded this earlier in the day. And uh, then I took the kids around to Costco, did a bunch of stuff, and then came home and watched Better Call Saul on the DVR and fell asleep after Better Call Saul. I woke up to find the horrible news at a Rob Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. I watched the president speak. I tried to digest the news. I'll talk more about it tomorrow. I already have a full show in the can, but I also need to, it's not the curse show. And listening to that windbag douche president of ours dance on the graves of more children is, uh, is disgusting at a time when you could, we should, we need something in this country to sort of just a moment to go, we all agree this is universally terrible. Instead, that bag of dicks decides that this is the time to score political points with his airheaded wife standing beside him, looking as vacant as she is. And I just thought, God, I really, I can't, um, I can't not hold that man in contempt. So I'm going to try to uh, calm down. And we'll address this on tomorrow's show just because these people make me physically ill. Anyway, so that being said, let's uh, let's start. And boy, howdy, is that going to be a part of the uh, curse show this Saturday? <laughs> but let's uh, let's just start the show. It's just one of those days where you're sitting there and it's not, not a big overarching story, but a whole bunch of little stories. That you sit there and you go, what is wrong with these people? How do these people live with themselves? Where does it come from? I want to start... Uh, we'll get to audio in a second. I just want... Jokingly, if you've ever written about or even tweeted about, posted on social media about Jake Tapper, there's a decent chance, certainly better than average chance, that Jake Tapper has come at you in the DMs. He, I don't even remember what I said. It wasn't even making fun of him. It was making fun of something that went on in his show. And he suddenly, like, oh, you got a DM from Jake Tapper. And there was, like, ten DMs from Jake Tapper. I'm like, what the hell? And he just went off randomly on me for no good, nothing. It was like, dude, you're a little bit crazy. Well, that's been a common occurrence amongst people on Twitter, especially people who write anything or tweet about Jake Tapper. Well, now there's problems over, and it's not that there's no joy in Mudville. There's nobody in Mudville. Mudville being CNN, nobody's watching CNN. But they, uh, <laughs> Jake, Ta Jake Tapper has caused a firestorm. And, and I, I always say this because it's the easiest rule in the world to remember. Don't be a, a jerk. I don't necessarily use the word jerk. 
Uh, I use a word that starts with a D. But don't be a jerk. That's a pretty good rule of thumb to live by. If you're not a jerk, then most everything, it won't work out for you because it doesn't make life better or easier for you. It'll just make life more pleasant for you. Jake Tapper can't follow that. He can't handle that. So you get this story from the Daily Beast. Tapper tested positive at CNN DC and taped show anyway. This is also a testament to just how absolutely freaking paranoid people are on the left about COVID. Still, I don't recommend you go and lick doorknobs for a living or anything like that. But let's be honest, it's not the death sentence we once thought it was. The story. Some staffers on CNN's The Lead with Jake Tapper are seething about the host's conduct following a COVID diagnosis earlier this month. The CNN star, well, I guess technically he's a CNN star. The CNN star tested positive for the virus while at the network's DC bureau on Monday, May 9th, just prior to taping his 4 p.m. Eastern Time show. But according to two people familiar with the situation, he did not go home immediately, incensing some colleagues. Now, if he's there, you clear out the studio, right? I'm not Team Jake Tapper on anything. I'm not Team CNN on anything. But let's be honest. If you're alone in a studio, you're already in the studio, and somebody comes along and swabs your schnoz and says, let's see what's going on in here. And they go, oh, you got COVID. Then... You go, all right, well, everybody get out. We'll do this show, and then I'll go home. Like, I'm here already. I've already if you're going to catch it from me, you've already caught it from me, right? By Tuesday, Tapper was uh, replaced on air with Dana Bash, according to uh, his show, while he recovered at home. On Wednesday, however, he returned to the show for what appe- from what appeared to be his home studio. Quote, this happened in the same week that the country was mourning the millionth death due to COVID, which Jake covered on his show. One pissed off staffer told Confider, it's the Daily Beast, they they name their stupid columns. (laughs) Tapper, who is known to slide into reporters' DMs to lash out at them for their coverage of him and CNN, can be quite robust in his feedback, according to two people on the receiving end of his missives was uh, so freaked out the story would leak that he had the most trusted name in news' enormous PR team working overtime to run interference on the media outlets uh, on media outlets that called for him to ask for comment. Again, if you don't have to put the PR team on high alert if you're just not a jerk in the first place. It solves so many of life's problems if you don't create that many of life's problems in the get-go. <sighs> but media is just a full of terrible people. The Washington Post last night made a huge, huge... I don't even know. Is today the George Floyd Day? Let me see this, because I can't keep track of this. I just honestly couldn't care less. Uh, George Floyd Day, May 25th. No, tomorrow. The 25th is George Floyd Day. But the media is getting, I don't know if you've already, if you haven't already ordered your George Floyd Day gifts, you need to get on that now. Um, 
the media is so excited about it. They're aroused at this. And not since the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial has the left-wing media been so excited to mark a two-year anniversary. Two, year two years is not an anniversary you mark. But they're ready to do it. The Washington Post, man, they were ready to do it, and they are still ready to do it, and they want people's feedbacks. So they asked for it, and they're writing their stories already. And last night, the Washington Post tweeted, quote, On May 25th, 2020, George Floyd was shot and killed in police custody. His death sparked outrage, wide-scale protests, and calls to change policing. Two years later... What has or hasn't changed? Mm. Uh, forgot about the riots, forgot about all the deaths, forgot about all the violence, the communities, the neighborhoods destroyed, the largely black neighborhoods that were destroyed. And oh, by the way, most importantly and most glaringly is George Floyd was not shot and killed <laughs> in police custody or otherwise. Do people who work at the Washington Post not follow the news? Honest, George Floyd was shot and killed in police custody. Where do you live that you think this? How does it get through? Anyway, it sat up there. It not only was in the tweet, it was in the story that the tweet linked to. They've since changed both, but gave no indication that they changed both. <laughs> they, they never did. The truth is, as Andy No reports, George Floyd was not shot. He died of a cardiopulmonary arrest. An official autopsy found nothing to support a diagnosis of traumatic asphyxia or strangulation. His blood had 11 nanograms per milliliter of fentanyl in it. Essentially, George Floyd died of an overdose. But that's beside the point. The Washington Post wants to know how it impacted you. I just can't wait till next year when the Washington Post does a deep dive expose on George Floyd's suicide or something and what it tells us about ourselves. You get so much so wrong. But the Washington Post wants to know how George Floyd's death has changed your community. Has it changed your community at all? The communities that they desperately want to write it, see, because they don't mean community in the, the way that a normal person would mean community, meaning your, your immediate neighborhood, your surroundings, you know, where you live. Community by community, they mean your skin color, your sexual orientation, whatever. That's what they mean. That's what it is to leftists. You are meant to identify more with somebody sharing sexual preferences who lives 3,000 miles away than you are your neighbor who doesn't. Your gender, your sexual orientation, whatever. They don't want you to identify with your neighbors. They want you in your nice little, nice little Tupperware container where... You are supposed to go off and you are supposed to be crammed in. That's where you're supposed to go and be. That's all you are. Oh, here, you're gay. There you go. That box checked. Oh, you're, uh, you're Hispanic. That box checked. Get in those Tupperware containers. We'll put part of you in this one and part of you in that one if you fit into a few of them. And then we'll have a separate one for all of you. That'll be much smaller and we'll only deploy that occasionally. It'll be wonderful. It'll be glorious. 
You think I'm joking. This is how the left views the world. This is how the left views you. This is why when you see leftists stand up at their conventions, at their meetings, or what have you, they give their names and then they give their pronouns. Who cares? You're going to ask a question of somebody up on a stage. Who gives a damn what your freaking pronouns are? In any, under any circumstances, who gives a damn what your pronouns are? But honestly, the interaction you're going to have with that person on stage is... 10 seconds, unless you, well, actually, most people ask questions that those sorts of things have long preambles that they ramble on about. So you get a minute, that's going to, it's not even an interaction. You're going to talk for a minute, then you're going to sit down and shut up, and that person is going to talk to everybody in the audience about what you just asked. Not going to address you specifically, but maybe they will. And there's a possibility that they will go, uh, yeah, that guy over there. And suddenly they don't know that you identify as, I don't know, uh, a statue of Dumbo or something like that. And they might not get your pronouns right. And you might have to go back and, I don't know, drink yourself to sleep that night because of the trauma and whatever. And frankly, nobody gives a damn. Nobody cares. I sure as hell don't care what's wrong with you. I don't. But these people all believe that they are wildly special and they buy into the get into your Tupperware container mindset of the left. It's no different than learn your place. That's what they're essentially saying. It's not, oh, we want to make sure that we treat you with respect. No, it's learn your place. Be a gay man and be a conservative. Be Rick Grinnell. Be Donald Trump's national security advisor. See how that works out for you. See if you'll be asked to be Grand Marshal of any pride parades out there, okay? See if if you will be asked to do anything related to the gay community. You won't. In fact, the Grand Marshals, let me see, I'm looking this up. The Grand Marshals for the 2022 New York New York and San Francisco have the two big gay pride parades, right? The Grand Marshals from New York. There's one gay woman, one lesbian, I guess. Somebody called Punky Johnson. I have no idea who that is. And the rest are all trans. There's not even a gay man at the Gay Pride Parade. Bill Maher pointed this out in his monologue on on Friday. It's amazing. Gay pride parade. You're not gay enough. Sorry, you're not pridey and you're not worth having pride of gay men. Because ultimately everything devolves. Everything devolves when you go down the left wing path. It is we're all gay, we're all LGBTQIA plus blah 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 blah. We're all victims. Let's sing together in solidarity. And suddenly there wasn't any oppression. It wasn't. It just wasn't. People weren't all that interested. So theoretically, they were winning or they'd won. Rather than just go, all right, well, we did it. Let's, uh, let's go back to our lives. Their lives are likely miserable. So what they did is they decided to separate internally. They've got the community the Democrats want. Uh, how did this impact your community? Well, it bifurcated us even further. Now, straight men... Or gay might as well be, or gay men might as well be straight men, especially if they're white. You might get extra attention and might get a pass if you're a gay minority, but not as much because you're certainly not as oppressed as a man 
in this patriarchy as somebody who's trans. Trans is the new trend, man. It is where it's at. These people are messed up. And you're looking at, what was this? Openly. Something called openly. I don't know what the hell it is. It was trending on Twitter, which actually they, they paid to get a trend on Twitter. I'm fairly certain. But eight celebrities you didn't know were pansexual. Aside from the fact that nobody gives, I don't even know what exactly what a pansexual is. I got to hide the all clad when you come into the house. Like, are you, what are you, what are you doing with that, uh, that pot over there? Yeah, and I got the lid for that thing. Can I borrow that from it? No. Is that what a pansexual is? I don't know. Couldn't help but notice your frying pan over there staring at me. Is, do you know, is the frying pan seeing anybody? I take issue with the idea, the concept, the stupid concept of these made-up genders, but then you've got the added element of who these people are, and you go, that's a, that's what constitutes a celebrity. I have no idea who this person is. Demi Lovato, I'd heard of. She used to be attractive, and then she became pansexual and announced to the world that she's got mental problems and she's pansexual, and now she looks like she's picking through the dumpster at a, at a truck stop. Oh, that's so rude to say. Look up the pictures and tell me I'm wrong. I don't take pride in pointing it out. I'm just saying it's a fact. I don't take pride in saying, hey, the sun rises in the east. The sun rises in the east. That's what it does. I'm not pointing it out. I'm not a hero for pointing it out. I didn't discover it. Demi Lovato, the word that comes to mind is unfortunate. I remember the 2016 Democrat convention, I think it was. Where she performed, I got to see her sound check as I was walking around during the day. She could sing. She had some talent. I remember looking up there going, that's a good-looking lady on the giant big-screen TV. And now you look at it and you go, Demi Lovato ate Roseanne Barr after taking fashion advice from Roseanne Barr. <laughs> now now she's, she's going after Joy Behar. Like, there's nothing pleasant at all about her. You look at that and you go, okay, this... There's something going on here. Maybe we should find out. This person is crying for help, but the left looks at that and goes, well, she's so brave. She is so absolutely brave. The way that she has seemingly given up on life, the way that she, I don't know, looks like she's strung out, so brave. She's living her authentic life. No, no, she's crying for help, but she's surrounded by parasites that... uh, are too dependent on her check for their check. The whole left thing is screwed up. Absolutely beyond recognition that they have power in this country is terrifying. I want to shift for for a second just because I'm talking about these idiots in Hollywood. And uh, somebody who bridges the gap between Hollywood and um, political commentary. Well, really all the idiots at The View. Let's be honest. These are really, I don't know. I'm sorry you didn't get the job at The View. Why? Well, you had a, a three, third digit, you had three digit IQ. It's not, you're over 50 with the IQ. You can't, can't do it. We can't have somebody out there. You'd show everybody up. Because uh, Nancy Pelosi was denied or has, it's been denounced the, or announced that the, uh, diocese, the Catholic diocese out in San Francisco, is going to deny her communion, right? They're going to, finally, she's a Catholic. She's a devout Catholic. 
and uh, she's been telling it she's been dining out on that and making a ton of money off of that now the archbishop has said that she needs to be denied communion because it's not just because she's pro choice or pro abortion or however you want to look at it it is because she is rabidly pro abortion under any and all circumstances and wishes to have the government taxpayers pay for it that's a little bit too much. You gotta to offend the Catholic to be a person in power to offend the Catholic Church, it takes some effort. Right? You, you really gotta you really gotta do Joe Biden hasn't reached that line yet, although why I don't know. Washington Post has a story. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi on Tuesday questioned whether a San Francisco Archbishop who said they would deny her communion over abortion rights was using a double standard by allowing politicians who support the death penalty to receive the sacrament yeah uh there's a bit of a difference the people who you know get the death penalty eye for an eye guilty sinner so on and so forth but whatever it is a fight between uh salvatore i'm not going to be able to pronounce that uh cordelioni we'll just say it is the Archbishop of San Francisco, Nancy Pelosi. Now, this is a problem for the Catholic Church because Nancy Pelosi went and received communion at a Catholic church in Georgetown because everybody, because politics permeates everything. Remember my rule. Progressives are progressives first and foremost. Anything else, they are a distant second. So the priests over in Georgetown are wildly progressive. They, they sit there and you say, well, priests, do they really care about the power circle? Yes, they do. It matters. It matters. You go to many events in Washington, D.C., and there's a lot of priests around there from Georgetown, from just various churches and whatever. A lot of people invite them because it's a, it's a status thing. It's like having a trans kid. Oh, you had the fra- Reverend so-and-so or Father such-and-such there. Oh, great, great, great. That's wonderful. It's a status thing. Those people are also on board. The conservative groups would have conservative priests. The liberal groups would have liberal priests. And you sit there and you go, how does that, how does that work? It doesn't work. I don't understand how you can be a liberal and expect to be a uh, Catholic. There are rules. There are rules that I'm kind of surprised, actually, the Pope hasn't changed. This Pope hasn't changed, at least yet. We give him time. But uh, there are certain rules, boxes that have to be checked in order to follow the teachings of the church. Unless the Pope says, oh, well, you know, that uh, 2,000 years of teaching of the church, they were wrong. Oopsie. Honest mistake. We're going to change that. They don't do that very often, but they have done it. So Nancy Pelosi is in the midst of a controversy. And the ladies on The View decided to weigh in on it. Why? Because, I don't know why, honestly, but Whoopi Goldberg just really honestly showed her ignorance. One of the dumbest people on the planet. You would think Whoopi Goldberg's up there in age. She's been around. You'd think if only by accident you would learn some things. If only by accident you would catch on to some things pick up on you know i've learned i've learned to swear in several languages not because i studied those languages not because i went and made a point of befriending somebody or bought one of those uh, cd teach yourself no it's just you know i said well, that that 
sounds like a swear word. What is that? And then you do a little bit of research. You can pick up on things yourself. There are plenty of words I use now that I had no idea what they meant when I started using them, but I could figure it out from the context and the way that other people use them, the gist of them. And having heard them enough, you figure it out. If you're in your 60s or 70s or whatever whoopee is, you would think there would be a whole lot of life that you would have just picked up on through observation and conversation. But when you're a rabid narcissist and dumb to begin with, you you don't pick up on such things. So she ends up opening the show yesterday this way. The abortion rights battle is starting to blur the lines between church and state. The Archbishop of San Francisco is calling for Speaker Nancy Pelosi to be denied receiving communion because of her pro-choice stance. He's one of the priests who also called for President Biden to be denied sacrament. This is not your job, dude. <laughs> that is not, you can't, that is not up to you to make that decision. You know, what is the saying? It's kind of amazing. Uh, but, you know, what is the point of communion, right? It's for uh, sinners. It's the, for, the, for sinners. It's the reward of saints, but the bread of sinners. How dare you? What in the hell is she talking? Um, uh, how dare you? How dare, that's not your job, dude. Whoopi, that's expressly his job. That might be line one of the job description. <laughs> that's not your job, dude. No, it's, it's not the job of a janitor somewhere. Is it there going, you, you, who made you pope? But, uh, you know, who made you the, the priest? Well, you know, the Roman Catholic Church that he represents. That's who made, that's the express, that's the job. That is the job. <laughs> You're sitting there going, hey, man, uh, nobody knows. It's not your job, dude. It's not your job. What is the sacrament? It's like, uh, it's like when you want a sandwich and you're hungry. The sacrament is about for when you're hungry and thirsty in the middle of a church service. That's what this is all about. It's not about anything. Why are you going to deny Nancy below? Oh my God. It's not. It's not surprising that there are ignorant people on television. You almost need to be ignorant to be on television. What's surprising is the pride in that ignorance, the confidence in that ignorance. That they just simply will sit there and they will tell you now that. There's no way she, Whoopi Goldberg, I don't know, maybe she is dumb, but you would think that Whoopi Goldberg would recognize that she herself is not the uh, expert when it comes to Catholicism, right? So maybe she wants to tone down her unequivocal declarations on this thing, if you don't know. If you don't know what the sacrament is, if you don't know what uh, Catholic teaching is on abortion, maybe you let somebody else lead the discussion, or maybe you just throw it out there as matter-of-factly and then pose a question rather than, it's not your job, dude! It's not your job! Yeah, it is, Whoopi. Like, uh, this Catholic priest was trying to tell me that if I just told him what I'd sinned about, that he would forgive me, that God would forgive me. That's not your job, dude! Yes. Yes, it is! <laughs> For God's sakes. What is the old adage? You don't, uh, you open your mouth and you prove that you're ignorant or something like that. You leave the impression that you're ignorant. I, I Honest to God, I don't know how... There are five people at the table 
at The View. I believe at least one other of them that, that day identifies or claims identifying as Catholic. But Because I wouldn't, if I was there, I just would have, I probably would have vomited. I probably would have laughed hysterically. But I would never, ever, ever have been invited back on The View because Joy Behar and Whoopi Goldberg are the only two people that actually matter on that show. Everybody else is replaceable. Those two aren't for some weird reason in the eyes of the producers. So if you make fun of them, if you point out, God, excuse me, Whoopi, I have a question. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Where do you get your information from? Did you did you fall on your did your parents drop you as a child? Those sorts of things. You ask those kind of I would never be invited. It would be a great moment. It would go viral. But you'd never be invited back on The View. That's not your job, dude. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not your job. Actually, I want to hear that. I'm going to play that again just because it's so damned funny. It's not your job, dude. <laughs> Plus, I think I do a pretty mean Whoopi Goldberg. You know, outraged Whoopi Goldberg. It's not your job, dude. The abortion rights battle is starting to blur the lines between church and state. The Archbishop of San Francisco is calling for Speaker Nancy Pelosi to be denied receiving communion because of her pro-choice stance. He's one of the priests who also called for President Biden to be denied sacrament. This is not your job, dude. (laughs) That is not, you can't, that is not up to you to make that decision. You know, what is the saying? It's kind of amazing. Uh, But, you know, what is the point of communion, right? It's for uh, sinners. It's for for sinners. It's the reward of saints, but the bread of sinners. How dare you? It is not your job, dude. The archbishop, it's exactly his job. Who do you think you are? Well, I think I'm the archbishop of San Francisco. So, yeah, I think, who the hell are you? You won an Oscar for Ghost back in 1988 or whatever and haven't really worked since. So, you know, I'm pretty sure, unless you've been, I don't think you've been studying theology, especially Catholic theology, in those ensuing years. I don't think you were sitting on the set of Jumpin' Jag Flash reading up on Catholicism. My God, how do you do that? You know, what's funny is you can tell that it was in the teleprompter. It was all in the tele- and almost. You got to believe that Whoopi had never seen that copy before in the television. It's in the teleprompter because she's reading it. You can see she's reading it, and you can see what she's reading register with her. When I tell you that the people on cable news are stupid, I'm telling you the truth. Uh, people on TV news in general are stupid. They uh, she's reading it, and then it registers when she gets to the certain point where she goes. Well, ugh. It's not your job, dude. That's not your job. It didn't register before then. She had no idea what they were talking about because this is how cable news, this is how TV news, this is how The View works. Just go ahead and read. Go out there. Well, what do we know? Here is a paragraph on whatever the issue du jour is we're talking about. It's it's two cents. It's not really a paragraph. And that's enough. And you would think... After being humiliated, I don't know, several dozen times, you would go to the staffer, the producer who does this stuff and says, you know what, I'm going to need a little bit more than two sentences and I'm going to need it a little bit sooner than three minutes to air. 
I want to know the day before what you're going to do, who you're going to book, and what you think we're going to be talking about. I want to know where you get your information from. And more importantly, I'm going to offer you some stories that we're going to bring up, that I'm going to bring up. And you can tell me no all you want, but I'll be on camera and I will bring them up. If you say no, so you might as well prep everybody else for them. That would be the way I would handle it. I would look at it and go, I'm not going to go out there and be humiliated. But Whoopi Goldberg looks at it and goes, I get paid $8 million a year. I don't care. I get paid $8 million. There is no cons. It's the same as it was for Dick Morris, for Frank Luntz, for every pundit on cable news, every election cycle, to the same thing to the people who are on uh, The View. There is literally no consequence for being a complete fool for being a complete jackass, for being completely wrong, for humiliating yourself on a daily basis, for tarnishing the reputation of the company for which you work. There are no consequences whatsoever for that. How many times had Dick Morris been completely wrong and then be back on the next day and not asked about it, just, oh, I'm going to go back to making another prediction. It's like somebody who goes, I'm a professional... Uh, Powerball lottery picker. You've never won. No, I never won. But come on, keep giving me the money. And people keep giving him the money. The only reason Dick Morris isn't on TV anymore is he got too old. He got too old. The guy had a, a prostitution scandal back in the 90s. It was like a toe sucker or something like that, if I remember correctly. But he's back on TV. He's on TV. He was on TV. He was on TV. And then finally he began to look like absolute hell. And that is the unforgivable sin of television. That's, you, you can be as wildly stupid and completely wrong as you want to be. But unless you're a rabid left winger, you you can't be ugly. The view proves that. You can be rabid, wildly ugly. But you still have to maintain some Somebody out there goes, Whoopi Goldberg, she's a bit of all right. Or somebody says, that Joy Behar, man, I'd love to see her in a one-piece neck-to-kneecap to bikini. <laughs> Give me one one of those old-timey bathing suits and Joy Behar and give her a parasol. I bet that's really hot. No, somebody does. Somebody has to. Or or they're just the only people out there that anybody's ever heard of, and they go, we can't get rid of these two. Joy's been with the show forever, and Whoopi is Whoopi, so we can get rid of all the other morons out there, so it doesn't matter how stupid they are and what stupid stuff they say, we've got to keep them. God, it's got to be got to be wonderful to be like Whoopi or Joy because you literally can do no wrong. Nothing can happen to you. And there are no consequences for being completely wrong, for being a complete moron, a total and complete moron. Like, oh, that's wonderful. Whoopi, you know, during the commercial break, like, Whoopi, I love the way that you expressed complete and total 100% ignorance beyond that of a, a newborn baby about the teachings of the Catholic Church. More of that, please. It'll be ratings gold. God help us. Catholic God help us. want to shift here because I'm seeing this. Joe Biden, of course, poor, poor, that poor bastard Joe Biden. Not only is he losing his mind, not only was he not bright to begin with, occasionally he has to have meetings with members of the press. Now, granted, they all got to go in there and kiss his ass. So there's that. 
But he recently had a lunch with Tom Friedman at the the New York Times. Nobody loves themselves more than Tom Friedman of the New York Times. Maybe Paul Krugman of the New York Times. The New York Times appears to have cornered the market in people who absolutely love themselves. And uh, Tom, it was an off-the-record lunch, which tells you Tom Friedman could not be a bigger fan of Joe Biden and what Joe Biden is trying to do if you paid him to. He couldn't do it. He is, he's on the team. He's, he's a super fan. And uh, it was still off the record. He sit there and go, why? You got a super fan. If Joe Biden is sitting there, falls asleep in his soup, Tom Friedman isn't going to write, boy, Joe Biden has lost a step. Tom Friedman is going to go, my God, he, he's working so hard that, uh, you know, he's got to take his rest where he can find it. That's the way it works. But with the Tom Friedman lunch, a guy who loves you is still off the record. You sit there and you go, well, what's the point of an off-the-record lunch? Well, it's to thank supporters. You can't say it's to shape coverage, even though that's kind of why they started. But uh, you don't need to shape coverage when it's Tom Friedman of the New York Times. He's on your team. Now, The Hill is reporting. I won't bore you with what Tom Friedman, his whole column. The Hill is reporting that uh, Biden is worried that he can't reunite America which is hilarious. So the story from the Hill, New York Times columnist Thomas Friedman wrote on Monday that he walked away from a recent lunch meeting at the White House with a sense that President Biden fears he will not be able to unite the country. One of his signature promises from his presidential campaign. Has he tried to unite the country? I mean, it seems like the country's fairly united in thinking he's a god-awful president. So there's that. Quote, Biden didn't say it in so many words. Or let's see. After clarifying the meeting with uh, uh, the meeting with Biden, which took place on Monday, was off the record. Friedman said, "He quote left our lunch with a full stomach, but a heavy heart." God. Quote from Tom Friedman: Biden didn't say it in so many words, but he didn't have to. I could hear it between the lines. He's worried that while he has reunited the West. He may not be able to reunite America. <laughs> End quote. Reunited and it feels so good. He's united the West. Reunited the West. Yes, the West is loving it. They're no longer being pressured to pay their uh, agreed upon amount to NATO. Yeah, Joe Biden is letting them get away with it. They no longer have to fund a large percentage or a decent percentage or agreed upon percentage of their own defense. We'll pick it up as we're digging ourselves into a deeper hole. They love it. They love it. The United States is back doing all the heavy lifting and all the heavy check writing. Who wouldn't love it? But you can't reunite the country. I love the idea that Joe Biden is trying to reunite the country. That's hilarious. Tom Friedman continues, quote, it's clearly his priority above any build back better provision. And he knows that's why he was elected. A majority of Americans worried that the country was coming apart at the seams and that this old war horse called Biden with his bipartisan instincts was the best person to knit us back together. <laughs> it's the reason he decided to run in the first place, because he knows that without some basic unity of purpose and willingness to compromise, nothing else is possible. My God, Joe Biden is a hero. 
He's a hero. Just ask him. He knows this. Actually, he don't. He, he's not quoting Joe Biden here because it was all off the record. So this is Tom Friedman. This is Pulitzer Prize winning journalist and columnist. Tom Friedman's, oh, Joe Biden loses sleep at night because he can't reunite the country. Let me ask you this. Have you ever felt that Joe Biden has remotely even tried to bridge the gap between right and left? Even for a second, on any issue, do you think for a second that Joe Biden has tried to reach across the aisle in any way, shape, or form. No. He has been, for two years, calling everybody who disagrees with him a Nazi, everybody who disagrees with him a white supremacist. Why the hell would anybody perform the Heimlich maneuver on someone like that when they're choking, let alone unite with them to make their political career any better? Go to hell, Joe Biden. I mean that in the nicest possible way. You sit there and you go, the idea of showing photo ID, that's Jim Crow 2.0. And the people who refuse to support the federalizing of all elections are the new Bull Connor. Bull Connor was a Democrat in good standing. Democrat until the day he died, Joe. All the uh, pro-segregationist, racist Democrats that you were in the Senate with that you bragged about, oh, they really loved me and I learned a lot from them. They were all Democrats. They stayed Democrats until the day they went to hell. And you're sitting there and going to lecture us about, oh, we need to get back to you. We need to unite the country. Why would anybody unite the country with you? Did uh, Was OJ trying to reunite with Nicole. He's trying to, oh, let's unite, Nicole. Come on. Let me saw your head off and your friend's head off. And if that won't bring us back together, well, boy, howdy, I'm out of options. I'm out of ideas. I don't know what to do. To make any sense to anybody, that's what Tom Friedman is putting forth here, is he's trying to unite the country. How? That would be a worthwhile exploration of the presidency. How are you trying to reunite the country? What are you doing? Anything? Well, no, I'm not doing anything. Okay. Well, why would I re- why would I unite with you? Why would I get behind you? If what you're advocating is open borders, which is what you're advocating, I will not unite with that. I don't care if we all agree that other ways that immigration should be changed or mainline or whatever, even if you agree on everything else, the big part is you want open borders and you're welcoming in millions upon millions of illegal aliens who are bringing disease, who are bringing crime, who are bringing drugs. Uh, You're sitting there and you're going, yeah, you know what? We should probably strengthen the border. Well, why don't you just strengthen the border? Well, we've got to unite to strengthen the border. I don't need to unite with you. I think you're hurting the country. I think you're hurting American citizens. I know you're hurting the country. I know you're hurting American citizens. I'm not going to get behind that. Well, we need to unite behind the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Why would we unite from the withdrawal from Afghanistan? You did a horrible job. Unite with you? No, I don't want to unite with you on Ukraine. Just sending more money than their GDP over there in military aid. Zelensky said the, yesterday at the World Economic Forum that Ukraine's going to need $5 billion a month going forward. Well, I would say, sorry, figure it out. You're going to have to come up with something. At a certain point, you have to learn to, 
to win on your own, right? We just sent you $40 billion. You want more? (laughs) No. We got our own problems. Unite with Joe Biden. Why would Joe Biden want to unite with people he calls Nazis? Why would Joe Biden want to unite with people he calls white supremacists? How would he? He's not... He's not discriminating. He's saying pretty much every Republican, ultra-mega, ultra-mega Republicans are just the worst. They're the most extreme ideology this country has ever seen, he said. Well, why the hell would you unite with them if you believed that? Joe Biden doesn't believe that. Joe Biden isn't aware that he says it. Joe Biden isn't aware of what's going on around him. Let's just be honest. He doesn't have a damn clue what's going on around him. It's pathetic. It's sad to watch. Somebody should come in and say, it's time to go. It's time to go. Lunatic. Just to, to read for a second what Tom Friedman wrote. His, his column on his, his secret lunch, his special lunch with the president. is called My Lunch with President Biden. He's so wonderful. And this is how he starts it out. President Biden invited me to lunch at the White House last Monday, but it was off the record, so I can't tell you anything he said. I can, though, tell you two things. What I ate and how I felt after. I ate tuna sal- a tuna salad sandwich with tomato on whole wheat bread with a bowl of mixed fruit and a chocolate milkshake for dessert that was so good it should have been against the law. <laughs> <coughs> Tom Friedman, I believe, is um, he lives, I think it's the biggest estate, biggest house in Virginia. Maybe it's the biggest house in Maryland. One of them. He married wealthy. He married very wealthy. So he can be a complete dunce, a complete jackass and just skate through life. To defeat Trumpism, he writes, I only need, say, 10% of Republicans to abandon their party and join a center-left Biden, which is what he was elected to be and still is at heart. Oh, yeah, Joe, who is denying this? The Joe Biden presidency appears to be one that is simply beyond his control. You ever notice that? What does Joe Biden do? He Up there, he gives his little prepared remarks, and he goes, well, uh, take some questions, but I'm going to get in trouble if I take too many questions. They're not going to like it. They want me to leave. Who's bossing you around? Who's preventing Joe Biden from being the Joe Biden that he is? Tom Friedman, <laughs> Joe Biden is center-left Biden, which is what he was elected to be and still is at heart. Okay, well, then who's preventing him from being that? Who's 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 doing it? Is Ron Klain got a sniper rifle in the back of the uh, Lincoln bedroom ready to just take out the president anytime he strays? Is somebody beating him? We told you. We, we told you, Joe. No taking questions. Is that what's going on? Blink a whole bunch of times, Joe. If somebody's abusing you, okay. Learn to blink and like uh, so blink SOS. Do that. Can you do that? We'll send in visiting angels to check on you, Joe. God. Friedman continues, but we may not be able to get even 1% of Republicans to shift if far-left Democrats are seen as defining the party's future. Why would far-left Democrats be seen as defining the party's future? Oh, yeah. 
I know why. Because Joe Biden has caved to them on every single issue across the board, nonstop, since the moment he got the nomination for the Democrats. Unrelentingly. (laughs) And he finishes, and that's why I left my lunch with the president with a full stomach, but a heavy heart. Cue the violins, single tear dripping down the cheek. It's a sad day. Tom Friedman is has the sads. Everybody remember that. If there's somebody out there controlling Joe Biden, to the, well, actually, there probably are lots of people. I'd imagine there are oligarchs in Russia, oligarchs in Ukraine, oligarchs in China, the Chinese communist government, pretty much everybody who bought Hunter Biden's art. They all have something to lord over the Bidens. And so you sit there and you go, well, it's. I wish I could unite the country, but if I try, if I compromise with Republicans at all, the Chicoms will release data on my family's finances. At least that I could understand. I wouldn't respect it. I'd respect it more than what we currently have. But at least have some rational explanation as to why this guy can't seem to do his job against all all he wants to do is this and he can't do he's the president if he wanted to do something he damn well could do something tom i hate to you should know how our government works maybe someday you'll read the constitution and figure it out i doubt it but uh maybe you know our uh <clears throat> i want to apologize on behalf of everybody from michigan for jennifer granholm Every time I, I talk about her, I feel like I should apologize. And uh, and uh, Michael Moore. Have you noticed Michael Moore has dropped off the face of the earth? Have you felt like the earth is sort of lighter now? <laughs> He's out there somewhere, I'd imagine. Let me actually look up his Twitter feed because I have not seen a damn thing from him. He hasn't been on cable television. He's still on Twitter. He's still theoretically alive. And he's been tweeting a few days ago. So he's still alive. But he must be critical of Joe Biden. That's the only thing I can think of, is he has to be critical of Joe Biden. There's no other way. He's got a lot of tweets about uh, abortion. Okay, but now I'm looking at... doesn't seem super critical. It's all about a whole bunch of handmade Tale stuff. I don't know what's going on. He must have fallen out with uh, the left somehow because Mike was a, was a regular part of the uh, the scene over there at MSNBC in particular. And now it's he's gone. Interesting. But I apologize to uh, the country on behalf of him. He came out of Michigan. He lives in New York City now. He's a very wealthy man. He has a mansion on Lake Michigan up in Traverse City that he gets very upset if you point out pictures of. Tough, but tough for him. And then there's Jennifer Granholm. She was a two-term governor of the state of Michigan. Horrible governor. Awful person. Normally when a governor leaves office, they uh, they stick around the state because they, they led the state. They supposedly love the state. That's part of the shtick that they used to get elected. And if they were to run away from the state, they would, um, I don't know, they'd be acknowledging that they're a fraud, right? Seems a little weird. And, but Jennifer Granholm had done such a number on the the economy in the state of Michigan that nobody wanted to hire her, not even the universities, really. 
and so she had to go out to California to get a job. But she was always going to be a player in Democratic Party politics because she was young-ish at the time and attractive-ish at the time. And most importantly, she was born in Canada, born a Canadian, so no threat to anybody who has ambitions to become president of the United States. It mount. It mount. It may, here's a pro tip for you. If you're looking to buy a politician on the cheap, but somebody who, because if you've got to pay, they're going to be president one day prices. That's going to be expensive. That's going to run up the corporate credit card pretty. You get a lot of sky miles, but it'll still run up the corporate credit card pretty high. You go for somebody who's overseas, born overseas, born a foreign citizen, and then became an American. That's what Jennifer Granholm did. She's a does she because she because she's a woman and she's was moderately attractive. But she could never be president, so she could never threaten anybody in power. There was no real reason to destroy her. And the solar, the electric car industry bought her. Some electric car company gave her five million dollars in stock options for on the cheap. Like why? What did she? Well, it doesn't matter. She, she was governor of Michigan, which really has no interest in the electric car. The, it's the big three automakers. But out in California, they love the electric car. That's where she was a college professor. They were throwing money at her. She's a, she was a law professor. Why were you throwing money, electric uh, car stock options, at a law professor? Well, because one day she might be in a position to do something for you. It's a hedging of the bets. You sit there and you, I say this all the time, but it bears repeating for people who haven't heard it or people who haven't heard it enough. You look at what China did with Hunter Biden and you go, I'm a they gave, him a, they gave him a billion and a half dollars to invest. That's a lot of money. It wasn't, yeah. To you and me, it's a lot of money. To China, with a multi-trillion dollar economy, it's nothing. It's like, uh, it's like Elon Musk putting 20 bucks on black at a roulette table. No big deal. Or on green, a longer shot, but 20 bucks or putting even a thousand bucks on green. Who cares if it pays it big, but if it doesn't big, but if it doesn't big, but if it doesn't, so what? It's a thousand dollars. It means nothing to you. You probably got a thousand dollars in the ashtray of your car. China took bets. They were paying off kids of politicians all over the place. Uh, Pelosi's kids got foreign investments and foreign business investments in air quotes and businesses. John Kerry's kids all over the place with the foreign business. You, you think these kids are special or bright or smart? They got into college. They got into colleges because they're legacies. They avoided all sorts of various charges. I'd imagine because their parents are politicians. The parents likely paid off. I don't want to accuse anybody of anything sexually deviant, but you can't tell me. I'll never believe that there wasn't somebody that Hunter Biden got a little fresh with. And daddy had to come in and say, look, we're sorry and we can hook. I, I, I just I'll never not believe that. I'll never not believe that he didn't have run in after run in after run in with the state police in Delaware. And somebody out there is holding just gobs of information that would make the Biden family, expose the Biden family even further. 
Anyway, these people are making their hedging their bets. You give Hunter Biden uh, $1.2 billion or $1.5 billion to invest, even though he's never invested, he's never run a hedge fund before, and he gets a commission of like 1% or 3% or whatever it is. He gets a few million dollars. He gets to feather his bed. You don't lose anything really unless he somehow invested in garbage. So you still have the principle. The stock market's been pretty good. So you've probably actually made money off of it. But more importantly, you've perfectly legally given the son of a likely candidate, at least, for the Democratic nominee for president of the United States, you've given him millions of dollars. All legal, all above board, but as corrupt as the day is long. Jennifer Granholm getting stock options, $5 million in stock options. She said to go, why? What the hell did she do? She was always going to be a political player. She's politically viable. No guarantee she was going to end up at the energy department, being the secretary of energy, which is perfect, boom, chef's kiss moment for the electric car industry because she's dishing out subsidies like nobody's business. But even if she was in transportation where she would have made actual sense to be in there because of Michigan, you still can help that company that gave her $5 million because they liked her bowl haircut. Well, she's over there at the energy department. She just tweeted this out. Environmental justice is top of mind for POTUS, for Joe Biden, and his administration. We're working around the clock to build a cleaner, brighter future for Americans in every pocket of the country. Stay tuned this week to see how energy is contributing to Justice 40. I don't know what the hell Justice 40 is, but you click on the link that they put out there. Environmental just. Environmental, the priority of the energy department is not making sure that you're not paying $5 for gas by the 4th of July. That's, they don't give a crap about that. They want to make sure that they've injected race into that. Their press release or whatever, for far too long, communities, this is from whitehouse.gov, for far too long, communities across our country have faced environmental injustices, bearing the brunt of toxic pollution, enduring underinvestments in infrastructure and critical services, and suffering disproportionate impacts from climate change. Everybody, oh, everybody's got it bad, but some people got it worse. All animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. President Biden and Vice President Harris campaigned on confronting long-standing environmental injustices and inequalities, and they have delivered with actions that make a positive difference in people's lives. Since coming into office, they have worked tirelessly to ensure that voices, perspective, and lived experiences of environmental justice communities are heard in the White House and reflected in the priorities, policies, investments, and decision-making of the federal government. Now, if you're sitting there and you're scratching your head and going, huh, that what is this? You're hearing right there why gas prices are so high. Nowhere in there is making sure that people can afford to drive to work. It's not at all a priority. It's not even, it doesn't make the list. They're just uh, going straight forward with, we want to make sure that the gay, black, trans, Hispanic woman 
pansexual, asexual, agender person, that they make sure that they have clean air. We all kind of share the same air. No, shut up. Shut up. Racist. (laughs) I don't know what race that person is. During his first week in office, President Biden signed an executive order 14,008 on tackling the climate crisis at home and abroad, launching the most ambitious environmental justice agenda ever undertaken by the federal government. I believe that's what killed the Keystone XL pipeline. Executive Order 14,008 recognizes that all Americans deserve to live in healthy, thriving communities. But, in fact, too many people lack access to safe places to live, work, play, grow, and learn. Move. Yeah, the safest or unsafest, least safe places to live, work, play, grow, and learn. Where are those things? They're in Democrat-controlled cities. Yeah, Chicago. I don't know that it's more polluted than anything else unless you count lead poisoning. But you don't want to talk about that, do you, Democrats? No, you don't. Building on the foundational efforts of Executive Order 12,898 on federal actions to address environmental justice in minority populations and low-income populations, Executive, this sounds like the Soviet Union wrote this thing. Executive Order 14,008 established several brand new environmental justice initiatives. Well, if Barack Obama, I assume that's Barack Obama, if Barack Obama had, uh, no, 1994, so that's Bill Clinton, the uh, 12,898. If Democrats have had that one in there for so long, why did they not do everything? This is, again, one of those things where you're like, we've imposed the strongest sanctions uh, ever. We're doing everything humanly possible to make sure that we solve this baby food crisis. And we have been from the very beginning. That's why, starting today, I'm ordering... What do you mean starting? If you've been doing everything humanly possible, there's nothing to start today. If you've been caring about environmental justice since 1994... Then why haven't you uh, why haven't you blown the wad here on this? Well, don't ask questions. Shut up. Now here are the initiatives: the White House Environmental Justice Interagency Council. Yes, in the name of environmental justice, we have started a council that will give jobs to overeducated and under common sense liberal academics. <laughs> An intergovernmental party comprised of the heads of key federal agencies that seek to advance environmental justice across the Biden-Harris administration and is developing strategies to address current and historic environmental injustices. Uh, We hear that in the Interior Department there is an African-American family that has a radon problem in their basement. So what we're going to do is we're going to find an Asian couple with no radon and we're going to Give them a radon problem, too. That'll be justice. These people are insane. The first ever White House Environmental Justice Advisory Council. Another government bureaucracy. Wow. An advisory committee comprised of environmental justice leaders and experts, which advises the Environmental Justice Interagency Council and the chair of the council on environmental quality on ways to increase the federal government's efforts on environmental justice. Why don't you feel the justice already? (laughs) 
Next is the Government-Wide Justice 40 Initiative, which aims to provide 40% of the overall benefits of federal investments relating to climate change, clean energy, and other areas to disadvantaged communities who are marginalized, underserved, and overburdened by pollution. Wow, that's four layers of BS slathered in victimhood. Disadvantaged communities who are, one, who are marginalized, two, underserved, three, and overburdened by pollution, four. Now, underserved, there are more government programs thrown at the so-called marginalized communities than you can possibly imagine. You can then you can shake a stick at. It hasn't worked. It hasn't come close to making a dent in the problems they're supposed to address. And they're like, no, 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 you're under. No, I don't know if they're underserved. I think that they're overserved. I think that they are damaged by these liberal policies. But that's just me. The development, this is the next one, of a climate and economic justice screening tool, which seeks to help agencies identify disadvantaged communities for the purposes of the Justice 40 initiative and thereby inform equitable decision making across the government. So you're going to slice off 40 percent, whether or not the problem is there or not, 40 percent of the money to just throw at liberal activists in these communities to help keeping minorities oppressed. That's right. That's what it is. Keeping people in line. And then these problems are so prevalent and these uh, communities are so disadvantaged that we need a government screening tool to find them. Well, how, how could it be hard to find them? They're oppressed. <laughs> and finally, our government, instead of focusing on gas prices, quote the final point, the establishment of an environmental justice scorecard, which will track federal agency performance on environmental justice, including the Justice 40 initiative. God, I can't wait for a Republican to take back the White House, get this worthless pile of bones out of there and just decimate this crap. There are a few things that are... It's not even un-American. They're anti-American as this sort of crap. This is where Democrats live. This is what they bring to the table. This is all they've got. And I say they're horrible people. I'm not joking. Just say, I, I, I don't know if you have. Yeah, I assume, I assume everybody has Netflix. But there's a big controversy going on about Netflix right now. And I love it because it's, it's left-on-left violence. But it's, it's comedy on the joyless violence and i'm always in favor of the comedy i don't care what as long as the jokes are funny i don't care what the jokes are about but uh maybe maybe tomorrow i'll play the ricky gervais stuff because it's um it needs a lot of bleeping let's put it that way i'm not sure i have to listen to it again and see if it would translate well with that much bleeping but (laughs) ricky gervais has a new comedy special out on uh, Netflix, right? And there are trans jokes in there. Trans jokes. Now, they're funny trans jokes. That's the thing. And that's all you're supposed to expect from a comedian. But it's only been out for a matter of hours. Variety's even reporting on it. Quote, Ricky Gervais's Netflix comedy special, Supernature, has only been released on the streamer for a few hours, but it has already drawn criticism for a string of transphobic jokes. Transphobic jokes. Not going, oh, chicks, they don't. It's not transphobic. 
He basically says that women do not have that if you have a penis, you're not a woman. Not transphobic. But it's because let's see. I'll read I'll have to read this. I can probably do it. Then you won't be inundated with bleeps. It'd probably be better. Oh women, not all women. I mean the old fashioned ones, the one with wombs. Those effing dinosaurs. I love the new women. They're great, aren't they? They're the ones you've been seeing lately. The ones with the beards and the wieners, I guess you'd say. (laughs) You can't predict what will be offensive in the future. You know, you go to the dominant mob will be. The worst thing you can say today is women don't have penises, right? Says in real life, I support trans rights. I support all human rights. Trans rights are human rights. Live your best life. Use your preferred pronouns. Be the gender you feel. But meet me halfway, ladies. Lose the wiener. (laughs) I've seen the skit. It's funny. But Variety, no, actually no outlet. Every outlet out there has a piece about how horribly transphobic this is. It's just wrong to say that women are women and men are men. A whole bunch of people, nobody's on Twitter. And this is what constitutes a news story today. And this is, it's it's entertainment news, but it is relevant in the, the grand scheme of things in the so-called mainstream media as well. There are one, two, three, four, five, six tweets cited as. This story is about how there's controversy showing. People you've never heard of. Bot accounts. Now, let's just, I don't know, just out of curiosity for gits and shiggles, if you will, we'll look at how many of these people actually have any kind of footprint whatsoever. Not working out so great for variety, but at least so far. You never know. No less popular than the last one. This one is, the username is Elon Musk is a C word. That's not uh, really going to help out a whole lot in the credibility. This one's got a real seeming name. Nope, not helping out in the popularity. So Variety wrote a piece about how Ricky Gervais is already already drawing criticism for mocking trans people based off of six tweets. Six tweets. From people, now the most widely followed person on there is uh, some trans, who the hell knows, who cares, with 16,000 followers. 16,000 followers, okay? Nothing to sniff at, not a lot, but nothing to sniff at, it exists, 16,000 followers. The other person, the next person, 1,483 followers. Then the Unicorn Rocks account, 1,130 followers. The Elon Musk is a C-word account, 260 followers. Oh, here's another one. Somebody named Paul Husband, 7,500 followers. And then lastly, somebody named Big Red Gamer, spelled G-A-Y-M-E-R, with 1,344 followers. So the average number of followers is probably around 1,500. And Variety says, this is enough. We must do this. Now, are any of these people real? We have no idea. We have no way of knowing. Variety didn't reach out to comment for comment from any of them. They just took the tweets and put them in the story. It's like critics, critics. 
Ricky Gervais's comedy special, Supernature, has only been released on the streamer for a few hours, but it had already drawn criticism for a string of graphic and hurtful transphobic jokes. Four minutes into the special, Gervais dives into material about the trans community, seemingly calculated to draw a controversy. No, seemingly calculated to be funny. Goes in there. Goes to be funny. I recommend, seek it out. It's out there floating around on, on social media. Turf or trans-exclusionary radical feminists have been associated with people who reject the notion that trans women are women. (laughs) But you aren't. They aren't. A few minutes later, when discussing Kevin Hart removing himself from hosting the Oscars in 2018 for past homophobic tweets, Gervais continued joking about the trans community. Toward the end of the special, Gervais offers his reasoning for trans jokes, saying, quote, full disclosure, I support it, blah, 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 same thing I read earlier. Amid scores of fans and right-wingers taking to Twitter to defend Gervais's set against dissent, trans allies urged followers not to watch the special. (laughs) And this is where they, they posted the thing, don't watch it, Ricky Gervais, this is Esme. This is the most popular Twitter account of the six that they say. Ricky Gervais has a new stand-up show show out on Netflix today. Five minutes in and he's making jokes about trans women attacking and raping people in public bathrooms. To him, we exist only as a punchline, a threat, something less than human. Another one. Ricky Gervais is a disgrace. He's going to cause hate and crime cause hate crime and ultimately death of trans folks. Anyone who needs to vilify minorities to get a laugh is the most evil, hateful soul and seriously needs mental help, says Dr. Amy Roberts. Let's see. Dr. Amy Roberts' bio on Twitter is listed as Solution Architect and LGBTQ Plus Network. PhD in bioscience, statistics, and evidence-based frameworks. I'm going to take issue with that if you're saying women, trans women are women. Uh, Data, board game maker, ecology, Hilbury Island. I don't even know what the hell it is. Welsh. And then there are the bios. There are the... uh, they're the pronouns she her i'm gonna take issue with she her too just based on the photograph but hey what do you know over in england and i say it's getting worse this year yesterday parliament had members of parliament discussing the trans question their words now today here's ricky gervais trans people are going to end up getting killed over this we need international help a lifeline, anything. That was Unicorn Rocks screaming out to its 1,000 followers. <laughs> Elon Musk is a C-word. Ricky Gervais could go after governments, banks, billionaires, the ones causing actual harm to ordinary people all over the world on an unfathomable scale every single day. But he goes after trans people instead. Yeah, Ricky. Son, you speak your truth to power, coward. My God. (laughs) Ricky Gervais is doing a set on trans folks. How daring, how novel, how heroic. It actually is. Dave Chappelle almost got killed a couple of weeks ago by one of these unstable nutbags who charged him on stage at the Hollywood Bowl with a knife because the uh, nutbag confused person said that Dave Chappelle 
triggered him. He was triggered by Dave Chappelle. There's no, my God, what is wrong with people? We got to be able to take a joke or, hey, you know, just don't listen if you don't like it or whatever. It is lefties going, well, if he's going to inspire hate, then he's got to deal with what comes back and get him. These people are sick, sick people. Yeah, so look at all these. But what's sad about this, worse, is the way that people, news people, decide what's newsworthy is they can find six jackasses nobody's ever heard of with no followings whatsoever and they can say okay there's outrage on social media where is the outrage well these six do you know that they're real human beings no we don't do they have any following whatsoever so you can at least say that they're trending no they don't have any following whatsoever it's not not the way it is okay um then why is it news And the real reason it's news, what they won't tell you, but I will, is the real reason it's news is because this is what the outlet and the reporter that works for that outlet wants to say, but they can't. They have to try desperately to maintain that thinnest of veneers of objectivity, of journalism. They can't because they're activists. But part of it, I can't just, I can't just write Ricky Gervais as a big poo-poo head. Variety wouldn't run it. The person who wrote this story absolutely would write I give you, somebody called William Earl would absolutely love to write it. But they can't run it in variety. That's not, it's not variety stuff. That's not news. It's not, they don't do opinion on this. And you can't be a reporter and an opinion person at Variety. If you start saying mean things about celebrities, you'll never get access. And all this is about access. So what they do is they say, find some tweets that express what you're expressing. Express what you feel. And write the story about those. And that's what they do. This is not a newsworthy story. because There should be a review of whoever does reviews for Variety should review the Ricky Gervais special. I bet they'll hate it because they've got the same disease all these other idiots do. But that's where it's appropriate. This reporter, these editors, they said, find some accounts, find some complaining, and let's do it. You can't tell me you couldn't have if you weren't rushed, if you weren't in such a scramble to virtue signal to say, well, we're outraged too. We hate Ricky Gervais' special, too. It's just wrong, too. We're right there with you. If you weren't in such a hurry, if you said, all right, in the next couple of days, why don't you do a a real reported piece on this? Well, if you don't have your anti-Ricky Gervais piece up by noon today, the day the special comes out, you might as well go out and beat up a trans person. You might as well go out and do that. Because you're part of the problem. You will be deemed a heretic for not... It's not a matter of just virtue signaling. You can say, well, we'll virtue signal eventually. No, you've got a virtue signal immediately. you got to do it fast enough and outrageous enough. So they do it. They come up with this crap. Meanwhile, I suspect it will be that... um, People will. I, I didn't know Ricky Gervais had a new comedy special out. I am actually a fan of Ricky Gervais. He's not a man of the right. He is a devout atheist, but he loves animals. He's 
all against animal cruelty. And in that sense, I agree with him. And plus, I don't really give a damn what he thinks about politics. He's funny. If you think that certain people shouldn't be made fun of or that certain things shouldn't be joked about, Ricky Gervais isn't for you. That's fine. It doesn't have to be for you. But to watch the comedy special, all I ask is that it be funny. You want to go and say mean things about trans folks? Knock yourself out. I'll laugh. I'll make trans jokes right with you. You want to go and say mean things about straight white men? Go ahead. Knock, that one's acceptable. That one will get you a, a write-up in variety and probably awards. But go for it. I'm right there with you as long as it's funny. As a straight white man, just laugh. Make me laugh. That's your damn job. But these little Nazis over there on the left won't let people be funny. That's perhaps the biggest joke of all, isn't it? I, I wouldn't want to live. I don't understand how these people. Well, I do understand why there's like a drug abuse problem and all sorts of problems in the trans community because they're miserable people. They're absolutely god awful miserable people. If you sat around all day long complaining about how rough you got it and looking to manufacture ways to whine about how you got it even rougher, and you're like, oh, somebody's got it pretty bad over there. Yeah, you know, but I got it worse. We got it. We got it worse. We collectively. I would, I'd day drink. I'd morning drink. I would, uh, you know, get heavily into cocaine and methamphetamines or something like that. People are, well, it's hard to feel bad for people who have self-inflicted wounds. Your choice is you can choose to live however you like. You know, you want to be a miserable SOB, go ahead and be a miserable SOB. I don't care. You want to be happy-go-lucky? Go. You'll, you'll be much better off if you go that route. But period, end of story. That's it. You'll be much better. You just sit there and you watch these people. They, it's bad enough. They used to be, if you don't like it, turn it off. Now it's, if you don't like it, start an online petition to make sure that nobody, nobody ever can see it again. Shut it down. Destroy it. Work. Get it. Get a life. How miserable. You want to talk about, well, we got to figure out why there's such a high suicide rate in the trans community. Maybe it's because you're conditioning people to be so hypersensitive. People who already clearly have mental problems to be so hypersensitive that they take a joke from a comedian as some sort of affront to their existence. Just saying. A joke from a comedian is not an affront to your existence. If you think it is, you probably think that the toaster is arguing with you, that the blender has never really cared for you and has always been fighting against you. And I suggest you seek professional help, but you can't. One thing about the trans community is they discourage people from seeking professional help until they manage to transform the professional help community the psychological care in this country into something that simply just acquiesces to their will. Because you go to a psychiatrist now, there's a good possibility they go, you have gender dysphoria, you have clinical depression, you have all sorts of things. We can work on these things and we can make you feel better. And there is a huge constituency in the trans community that doesn't want that. It's genocide. Remember... Um, Remember when Rush Limbaugh got his cochlear implant? Well, it wasn't Rush. Rush, they didn't really care. But there are other people who get cochlear implants. Deaf people can hear. 
for the first time. And there is a, a swath of the deaf community, whatever the hell that is, that gets mad that people have their hearing restored, even through cochlear implants, because it's some sort of betrayal. If you go and you get diagnosed with gender dysphoria, it's the same way in the trans community. It's some sort of betrayal. It's really a sickness. By the way, if you were, just in case you were wondering, it's now official. It's kind of pathetic. But Ginger Goebbels has landed. Her, her emergency parachute has opened. <laughs> but the New York Post. MSNBC confirmed on Tuesday that former White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki will join the cable news network this fall. Psaki, who stepped down from her role in the Biden administration earlier this month, will appear on NBC News and MSNBC programming on TV and streaming later this year. She'll also get her own streaming show, which will launch in early 2023. Psaki will also appear on NBC and MSNBC's election night programming, the network said. Yes, nobody will bring a more level-headed and honest unbiased approach to election results than the spokesmodel for the worst administration in American history. <laughs> News of Saki's departure uh, for the left-leaning MSNBC leaked out in April following a February report by Puck News that her agent, UTA's Jay Shures, had been shopping her to the cable networks. A wild breach of government ethics and media ethics both of which were completely ignored except for one uh, four-minute session during the White House press briefing. That's it. Otherwise, they completely ignored all of it. Saki was replaced with the White House by Karen Jean-Pierre, who took the reins as press secretary in early May as the first black woman who's a lesbian. Did they mention that? They don't mention that. Quote, fact-based and thoughtful conversations about the big questions on the minds of people across the country have never been more important, and I'm thrilled to join the incredible MSNBC team, Ginger Goebbels said in a statement, quote, Jen's sharp wit and relatability combined with the mastery of the subjects she covers have made her a household name across the nation, MSNBC president Rashida Jones said of the hire. I am going to vomit. Oh, yes. Mastery of the issues has made her a house. It's not a that didn't make her a house. She doesn't have mastery of the issues. But even if she did, that did not make her a house. Being the press secretary, the White House is what made her a household name. Juxtapose this treatment to, say, Sean Spicer. Sean Spicer eventually landed eventually got a job at Newsmax. But MSNBC and CNN had no interest whatsoever in hiring Sean Spicer. It wasn't even an option. They couldn't care. They would not have dumped a cup of water on Sean Spicer if he was on fire. They didn't care. Fox, and I thought was just a, a jackass move, came out and said, we have no interest in hiring him either. Like, Why would you say that? Just You don't have to say anything. Just leave people the hell. No, no, we will, We don't want him. Good Lord, we don't want him. Like, that's really weird. But for some reason, well, like they ran and got Kaylee McEnany because she's attractive and Fox had to get somebody. Fox likes to walk the balance line between sucking up to Trump 
and uh, ticking off Trump. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's. I was watching the Sunday shows. I think I might have mentioned this yesterday. Watch the Sunday shows while I was making breakfast, and I flipped between this week and uh, the Fox News Sunday. Martha McCallum, who I just don't, I don't know. Every question she had for Ronna Romney McDaniel was about what? Was about Donald Trump. Donald Trump supported this candidate and they won. What does that say about the party? I don't know. Donald Trump supported this candidate and they lost. What does that say about the party? I don't know. How about, well, Donald Trump said, like, how about you just talk about what's going, there's a midterm election, okay? Yeah, Donald Trump is going to make endorsements in it. But Donald Trump, there's an election in Georgia, there's a primary in Georgia today. Donald Trump has gone all in against Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, and supported David Perdue, former senator, who, if he'd have been a better candidate and if Donald Trump were more interested in holding the Senate for Republicans rather than himself, we might not have been in this mess and we would have spared ourselves trillions of dollars in wasteful spending. But he wasn't. So you end up in a situation where... They're going against each other. Donald Trump is going to get his ass handed to him tonight, if you want to look at it that way. It has nothing to do with Donald Trump. David Perdue is a boring candidate, and Brian Kemp, as much as he's made Trump angry, is a better governor than Perdue was a senator. The people know this. They elected both of them, and they've chosen. But all the story will be about, oh, Donald Trump, he suffered a blow last night. How about the people of Georgia chose? Aren't the people of Georgia allowed legally to choose whoever the hell they want? Do they have to go with whoever somebody else recommends? How about you frame it? How about you go down there and you talk to people who live in Georgia and maybe you try to find out why it was that people who live in Georgia voted a specific way instead of I get it. Trump is ratings gold. And you have a lot of people who just suck up to him, find a way to live into it. They're constantly talking about about truth social account, truth social. Stop sucking up to the man. It's not your job. If you want to be his Jerome to his Morris Day, then apply for that job. You're supposed to be in media. You're supposed to be either a talk show host or a, a TV host or whatever. Stop sucking up to people. Do your job, but you don't want to do your job. I guess it's the easy way. So much of life is a bunch of people who just want to suck up and do things the easy way. I don't get it. I find it kind of pathetic, to be honest with you. Speaking of pathetic, this story from Forbes is kind of pathetic. Remember the big push a few years ago? Got to make Juneteenth the holiday. Make Juneteenth the holiday. Make Juneteenth the holiday. So they made Juneteenth the holiday. And now people are going, you can't exploit Juneteenth as a holiday. Well, that's the deal. All right. I don't care for Juneteenth any more than I care for half the holidays we have. President's Day does not warm my heart. Okay. Uh, But I know that there are President's Day sales every year. And I don't go, how dare they cheapen the memory of George Washington? This is an outrage. No, that's just part of the deal. 
Forbes reports, Walmart is backtracking on the release of its Juneteenth ice cream after taking heat on social media for using the holiday as a marketing ploy to tout ice cream under the guise of commemorating the emancipation of enslaved African Americans. The red velvet and cheesecake flavored ice cream sounds delicious, was labeled share and celebrate African American culture, emancipation and enduring hope. Daily Show correspondent Roy Wood Jr. was among those who poked the Arkansas-based big box store for capitalizing on the Juneteenth holiday with the rollout of the ice cream and branded party decor. How about you just get over it? It's a holiday. It's a federal holiday. It doesn't matter. It's not sacred. <gasps> did you say that? Did you? Re- yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Nobody alive today... Nobody alive, hell, 10 years ago would have heard of June. Maybe 5% of the people would have heard of Juneteenth. But because the Democrat Party went totally woke, they go, oh, we care deeply about this thing nobody would heard of 20 minutes ago. I can't wait for Joe Biden's traditional Kwanzaa message at the end of the year. You sit there and you look at this stuff and you go, man, this country's more divided than ever. Well, why do you think that is? It's because the Democrats find mileage in that. They find mileage in that, and they go for it. I don't give a damn. It's so stupid. Oh, Juneteenth. It sounds dumb. You want to have a picnic, go ahead. But let's be honest. If you really want to be honest, it didn't make life better, that much better. Thanks to Democrats, they kept oppressing black people. Well, they still try to today down in the South. You're going to be upset about a holiday being uh, exploited, then don't demand a holiday. The last little bit of time we've got here together, I want to play you one more audio clip and point out. Like I said, I talked about what's going on in Georgia. I don't, I don't care who wins in Georgia. I don't. Whoever the Republican nominee is, I will support. And by support, I mean hope that they win. I don't care. I want to beat Democrats. I don't want, oh, this kind of Republican or this one is a, a Trump Republican, the other one's not a Trump Republican. I don't care. Whatever the voters in that particular area, the Republican voters in that particular area choose is what I'm for. Go for it. If there's some areas that are super Trumpy and some areas that aren't super Trumpy, they're going to pick different types of Republicans. As long as they don't pick Democrats, I couldn't care less. That won't be enough for some people. Some people will be mad that I even said that. I can feel the emails already. I just don't give a damn. But the left has to be destroyed. The left has to be defeated and crushed. All of them. And humiliatingly, it's not even just a matter of you just beat them. Well, we won one to nothing. Look, I'll take the win. I'll take the W no matter what the score. But I really want to hurt them. I really want to decimate them, do damage to them make them regret they were born. So the uh, with the Georgia race, Georgia passed new voter protection laws. And the media and the leftists and the Democratic Party, all different tentacles of the same tumor, declared that to be Jim Crow 2.0, to be awful, to be the worst. My God, it's terrible. What are these... Evil racist Republicans, what are they doing? These horrible, horrible people are doing these horrible, horrible things. And in fact, yesterday on MSNBC, Yamish Alcindor, she is 
God, she is a talentless hack. Name one story you Michelle Cinder has broken. You can't do it. You can't do it. She hasn't broken any stories. She has a job because she's a liberal. She's probably very affable amongst liberal circles, in liberal circles. Very nice, able to network. She's able and willing to say some of the most shameless crap on television with no sense of, boy, this is going to make me look stupid, which either means that she's too stupid to realize that what she's saying is going to make her look stupid, or she just doesn't care. Either one is desirable for the left. They want somebody who's willing to say stupid things. She's also obsessed with race because Yamichelle Cinder is a black woman. It's probably a big part of it's probably listed on her resume. That sure she can't list, you know, accomplishments. And uh, she was on MSNBC talking about just how awful and suppressive voter suppression laws are, as they call them. They're not voter integrity laws. They're voter suppression laws. In Georgia are. This is a discussion about the state of Georgia. Listen to it. The, the reason that communities of color in Georgia don't have the same access to the polls is a lie. It's BS. As, as, as you're reporting, and Nick's entire body of reporting on the voter suppression laws will, will prove. So they took away access to the polls on the back of a big lie in service of Donald Trump. Uh, they took access uh, absolutely because of, of, a, of a lie, but also I would say that there also is racism in there, and the racism is a the lie, belt, right? right? Right, exactly. It's like the lie and racism, which is a lie, which is that these black people, don't, they don't deserve the access to, to citizenship in the way that other Americans do, that they haven't worked for it, that they don't, that they don't understand sort of the, the weight of American democracy, and as a result, we need to make decisions for them. I think those two things are so intertwined in this country. We often, I think, get to talk about the political side of this, but the race side of this and the fact that Jim Clyburn is saying in a country where we saw George Floyd died, we're going to, it's going to be two years this week that we saw this man murdered. In that same country, we're still sort of arguing about whether or not we want to teach our, 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 children and our students about whether or not sort of racism has continued to permeate all of these different structures. When we know graphically, we know statistically that that is simply a fact. It's just simply a fact. Racism is everywhere. Yes, would that we are also oppressed that she gets a, a six-figure-plus book deal not to write some sort of deep-dive expose piece of journalism. She doesn't do that. She's, she's not a good journalist. Um, it is her biography. She's in her early 30s, I think. Uh, and and did anybody ever sit there and go, gee, I wonder how that really fat chick on TV got her start? Well, now you'll be able to, whenever she finishes her book, you will know how she got her start. You won't probably learn much interesting, but you'll learn how she got her start. Can you imagine? That's why she got the money. That's why she got the job. If she's on TV, oh, people will care. People don't care. People don't care about Yamish Alcindor. She's not Bob Woodward, Carl, she's not even Carl Bernstein. She's nothing. But she's also a liar, so I guess that's something. Go to Fox News today, talking about all oh, these voter suppression laws. Oh, they're keeping black people from voting. They're not even treating them like full-time citizens. Oh, <clears throat> idiots. Fox News. Democrats, corporations, and the liberal media repeatedly decried Georgia's Republican-passed Election Integrity Act as the next Jim Crow. The Peach State is now seeing record-breaking turnout in early voting ahead of Tuesday's primary. What? 
I can't record breaking turn how they're the worst at voter suppression ever. Somebody needs to sit down those Republicans and explain to them what suppression means. Am I right? Am I right? Of course I'm right. Last year, President Biden no uh, called the law known as SB 202 a quote blatant attack on the Constitution and good conscience. Ascribed described it as Jim Crow of the 21st century. I think he even called it Jim Eagle, which was wildly stupid, but he thought he was being clever. When dumb people think they're being clever, it always ends up being stupid. And the president was supportive of Major League Baseball moving the 2021 All-Star Game out of Atlanta as a response. Biden urged Congress to pass sweeping federal voter laws, including the For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. Oh, everybody's going to be so oppressed, particularly, especially in this one and the other one. And none of it's true. None of it is remotely true. Now, what are the consequences? Look, the president of the United States isn't going to face any consequences for being a a complete bald-faced liar. He was elected being a complete bald-faced liar. But the journalists like Yamiche Alcindor, the hosts like you heard there setting it up, uh, Nicole Wallace, they will face no consequences whatsoever either. Why? How? What's wrong? How is that even possible? They just won't. Because what would they do? Who's going to hold them to account? It would have to be their fellow travelers. It would be when everybody's corrupt, nobody's corrupt. When everybody's in on the scam, then nobody complains about the scam. Oh, he got it more of a... Look, we're all going to... If this is found out, we're all going to jail. So you don't complain about somebody skimming a little bit more than you have. Skim harder next time. It's a complete and total grift. A con job by the left, for the left. It works because of our public education system and years of indoctrination, but it's working less and less every single day. Michelle Sender will still hammer her checks. She will still produce nothing and provide nothing to society of value, but she'll hammer those big fat checks, and so will everybody over at MSNBC. God help us all. Anyway, we're out of time for today. That's enough for today anyway. I need a drink, Roz. I'm taking the rest of the day off. I'll see you tomorrow. 